The subject of our sermon this morning is the Christian Sabbath. And this is, we celebrate, it's also a commandment. In Exodus chapter 20 and verse 4, we are in verses, excuse me, verses 9 through 11, we read this. We've read it already. Let me read it again. The commandment of God to remember the Sabbath day, to keep it holy. The six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son nor your daughter, or your male servant nor your female servant nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Now this is given and uh, phrased in a different way in the second official giving of the law in Deuteronomy 5. I'll read that too. In verse 12 and following, Observe the Sabbath day, Deuteronomy 5, 12, to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor unto all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your ox, nor your donkey, nor any of your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. And note here, incentive for keeping the Sabbath according to Deuteronomy. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm, Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Now, I want to um, read here what the fathers, the Reformed fathers, have uh, said of this fourth commandment, and that's in Lord's Day 38 in the Heidelberg Catechism. Before we uh, begin reading uh, from the prophet Isaiah and expounding the word of God regarding this Sabbath, hear a creed of the church. We could read other creeds, especially the Westminster, which is very helpful on the understanding of the Sabbath, but we have this beautiful creed called the Heidelberg Catechism. In Lord's Day 38, the question is asked, what is God's will for us in the fourth commandment? And the answer is, first, that the gospel ministry and education for it be maintained. And that especially on the festive day of rest, that'll be Sunday, I regularly or frequent diligently, as an old translation, uh, the assembly of God's people to learn what God's word teaches, to participate in the sacraments, to pray to God publicly, and to bring Christian offerings for the poor. So that's requirement of the fourth commandment according to the the teaching of the catechism. Second, that every day of thy my life I rest from my evil ways, let the word Lord work in me through the Spirit, His Spirit, and so begin already in this life the eternal Sabbath. So that's the catechism's explanation. We want to make sure that our understanding of things is uh, biblical and that the catechism's teaching is biblical 
We're always doing that like Bereans. And so let's turn now to a perspective from God's word that's very important to take with regard to the Sabbath and also are considering how we're to keep that today. Isaiah 58. Isaiah 58 is hauled in to help us here from God himself through your servant's uh, meditation on these things. God wants us to hear this perspective of Isaiah 58 where there's words of declaration from God and also of rebuke from God to his people who've been transgressing with regard to ordinances and with regard to fasting and feasting and also Sabbath keeping. Isaiah 58, the word of the Lord. Cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet, Tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. That they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me the ordinances of justice. They take delight in approaching God. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls and you take no notice? In fact, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure. And God's rebuking them now. Here's the problem. And exploit all your laborers. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate. And you strike with the fist of wickedness. You will not fast as you do this day to make your voice heard on high. Is it a fast that I have chosen, a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast? and an acceptable day to the Lord? Is this not the fast that I have chosen, to loosen the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out? When you see the naked, that you cover him, and not hide yourself from your own flesh. Then your light shall break forth like the morning, Your healing shall spring forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, and speaking wickedness, you extend your soul to the hungry, and satisfy the afflicted soul, and your light shall dawn in the darkness and your darkness shall be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water, whose waters do not fail. Those from among you shall build the old waste places. You, sh- they shall, you shall rise, raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach the restorer of streets to dwell in. Now our text here, mindful God is apparently of transgression of the Sabbath as well as of the ordinance of fasting. And here's positive instruction as as well as negative also for us today. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord, honorable, and shall honor him 
not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord. And I will cause you to rise on the high hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. May God bless us. We've read his word. We would consider now the truth, especially of those last verses of Isaiah 58, about God's ordinance of Sabbath and our calling to call it a delight. Here is, in fact, a revelation of the day of the Lord, a day that is called the Sabbath in the Old Testament and a day which we celebrate as Sabbath as well in the New Testament. There is an ordinance of God that has not changed. It's as old we should say as the proverbial and literal hills, a creation ordinance, the Sabbath of rest in God on one particular day of the week. This is, for Israel, a test, in fact, of their heart and of their heart with regard to all of the ordinances of God and especially of this Sabbath-keeping that they would show themselves and commend themselves in all of the world as the true people of God. They were a people of the day, of the Sabbath day, of many Sabbath days, and primarily of the weekly Sabbath, which for them was the last day of the week on the Saturday. They were called to celebrate this and call it a delight, and among other things, and to show this by their behavior that God was favoring them. Beloved, today, this is perhaps one of the greatest things the New Testament church needs to realize. There's a Sabbath day for us. There remains a rest on one particular day for the people of God. Not only every day, as we easily can say, and that's true, every day there's a rest for the people of God. But on one particular day, There is a rest for the people of God and a calling on that day and great blessings on that day for those who labor to enter into that rest by keeping the Sabbath holy. It's a test for us, and I dare say a test today to the congregation, perhaps, and also to those who visit. There's a test for us and something that's a kind of barometer in Sabbath-keeping of the spiritual atmosphere of a church and of a people. And I want the, I would pray and have been praying that the Lord would help us to see the barometric pressure, as it were, the, the health and strength of our own lives personally and of a congre- the congregation's life as we consider this fourth commandment and also the calling to call it, the Sabbath, a delight. That's the theme of my sermon here on the fourth commandment, calling the Sabbath a delight. It's often used in the much literature that has been written on the Sabbath. You see, there's been a fight over the Sabbath, especially the New Testament Sabbath. But uh, I would say the same thing as many, just quoting Isaiah is a good place to begin for sure. And we want to consider that God himself calls the Sabbath day honorable. Uh, 
and a, a delight. And secondly, that we are called to call it what God calls it, a delight, and to behave accordingly. And then finally, we consider the great blessings, and we have those blessings set forth for us, couched in Old Testament typical language, um, but not all typical language. Verse 14, you shall, uh, if we call the Sabbath a delight, the promises, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father. And to remind us of the wonderful importance of that, the prophecy, the test, the calling, the blessed revelation of Sabbath is sealed with the words, the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So is this the day that we keep holy? That's the question we want to consider today. And there's many who would say, yes, of course we do, because every day is holy. And Sunday is just one of the seven that we keep holy. In fact, some dare to say that the, of the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament, eight are really only applicable. One of them that doesn't apply, it seems like that's the case among many of the evangelicals, is the Seventh Commandment. As if God said, you shall commit adultery. But I'm referring here to the fact that many evangelicals even consider that the Fourth Commandment is not in the New Testament. And so seriously now, there's really only for most Christians nine commandments, and these really are all subsumed under the law of love, and they're not really um, applicable in the particulars, those nine commandments. So there's a distinction made and a disjunction between Old Testament, moral law, giving of the law, Sinai and all the smoke, and the New Testament, and you have Jesus and his commandment to love. Well, we, though we make distinctions in the Bible between old and new, and we must, find continuity between the Old and New Testament and certainly in the revelation of the law of God. The first thing we need to say, because we would be theological here, and we would know uh, God first here and what delights God, is that the Sabbath day has always been a delight to God. As we read in the beginning and in the narrative of, of Genesis in the first chapters, God on the seventh day made a Sabbath. That is, he ceased from his creative work and he made a Sabbath day. And the Sabbath day was for God to cease from his work and to rest. Now, it's not the case that God needed a break. He was tired and that he stopped all of his creativity, of course. My father works hitherto and I work, Jesus says in the Gospels. But there was a distinct stopping of the works of the six days of creation, the creation of the work of God's hands then on that seventh day. And in it, God who called it good and called this Sabbath day good, was saying uh, to himself and of himself, I am delighting 
in this day and on this day and all the works of my hands. That's what God was really doing there. He's resting, satisfied in, that would be how you could interpret resting, satisfied in everything he'd made. He, he stepped back, as it were, and with all of his holy divinity said, my, this is wonderful. This is what I have made. And this is wonderful just according to plan. Everything's good. There's these six days of creation, and I've revealed my own glory in all of the world. And, and so it was a day of rest. And God has also made that day for man. You realize in the garden, there was a need for Adam. Genesis 1 says it, a need for Adam to have this day of rest. And this is the the idea of God resting, that Adam himself should enter into the rest. It's a creation ordinance for man, even as it was a creation ordinance or a rest day for God, so that we could somehow appreciate what God appreciates himself and the works of God. One has said that this creation Sabbath of God, uh, this, this day he made in which he himself rested, was God ceasing from all the works that he sent out from himself. Remember, he was doing a lot in six literal days. He was making a lot of things. He was saying, let there be, and let there be this, and let there be that, starting with let there be light. And he made the sun and the moon and the stars on the fourth day, and the animals and man and and plants and seas and dry land and all of these things, children. It's amazing. And he spoke a lot out of himself. That's how creation is to be explained By the word, the speech of God with the heavens made and and all that is in them, God was speaking things into existence. And then he took the things uh, that were chaos and he, he shaped them. And so there's two Hebrew words. He created and then he formed them to describe a creative artist, as it were, in those two different words in the Hebrew language. And so that God was all in what he had to make and in all the details of his speaking and forming and shaping and and then also providing for the things that he made. Well, when God spoke all of these things on the seventh day, he ceased speaking creatively in that distinct six-day creation sense of the word. After this, as it were, man was to enter into that understanding that God himself had of the things. So God spoke out, and and as it were, all the things, and especially man, the the head of the race that would follow, and the image bearer of God, was then to go to God as one of his creatures, leading the way, and say to God, we come to you as those who have come out of you, and we would rest in you, So there's this speaking out in creation and this resting now and God calling all of the creation to come to him and rest in him. That's why since the fall, there's restlessness and the whole creation groans and travails until now waiting to be delivered uh, to participate somehow in the redemption of the people of God. 
And why there's a restlessness in society because it does not acknowledge that God has created and will certainly resist going to God and, and fellowshipping with God. And the same delight that God has, a delight in God and his glorious work, his glorious being. And man was to have found rest in God. Even before sin, that was his calling. That was his delight. And now, fast forward, there was, uh, not fast forward, this Sabbath creation ordinance was understood to be something that people understood, societies understood. Yeah, for example, before the giving of the moral law Exodus 20, Exodus 16, God proclaiming a Sabbath day in regard to the giving of the manna, I think, so that it was understood there was a Sabbath day. He didn't have to say what it was, but there was a day of rest, a special day of rest. It was understood that one day in seven was to be with God. We, we need this. Creatures need this. Adam, the sinless Adam, needed this as a creature. He needed to go back to the creator Uh, on one day in seven, and somehow do homage to him in his own resting from works and entering into the rest of God. So Israel knew this, but then in the 20th chapter of Exodus, they were honored, Israel was, as the people of Sabbath. Among all the people in the whole world, the Jews were honored with God's covenant and promises, circumcision and Passover, and also Sabbath. Could be argued that this was the outstanding feature of Israel. They were a Sabbath nation. It wasn't just in the weekly Sabbaths that they were not to do any work and they were to draw out of God and worship, but The festivals, the feast days, and particular proclamations were all about Sabbath days, not only on the seventh day, but maybe on the first day of the feast. We'll get back to that later. So that they were characterized by God revealing himself as their God and God showing favor to them. The Sabbath was like a sign, a sign of his favor. And it was a sign of his favor because he was giving to them who had fallen into sin with the rest of the Adamites, he was giving them now rest from sin, deliverance. They were his people of the Exodus. This people who knew the blood of the Passover lamb sprinkled over their houses and over their souls in type as the picture of Jesus himself and the rest we have in him. So this people by their resting on one day and then on certain special Sabbath days, and they had lots of them, a ceremonial aspect of their existence, was called to trust in God for deliverance, sanctification, glory, heaven, and the ceasing one day in heaven from all their sins. And this all is revealed in Jesus. Jesus is the rest giver. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And so 
we understand our Bibles this way and we make no disjunction here. We see a continuation that God is the God who gives us rest in Jesus. And Sabbath is a great picture of this and an ordinance even in the commandments of God, mind you, of Jesus and of our peace with God through him who died and broke his body and shed his blood that we might not be like the restless, troubled sea of nations, even if they be a league of nations or a NATO. The people of God together, the people of God's rest. And the Old Testament people were to delight in that Sabbath. God delighted in it. He gave it. It was his day. It's the holy day of the Lord, Isaiah says. It's honorable to God. To God. To know God on that day. That day, that one day, honorable. And the people of God were to call it a a great thing. You realize, don't you, that Isaiah here is getting to the heart of the things that are mentioned in the Sabbath that were the activities they were called to perform or not. They were not called to work. That's the huge burden of Exodus uh, chapter 20 and Deuteronomy 5. Don't work on the Sabbath. Don't work on the Sabbath. Cease from your labors. But here, Isaiah says, here's the heart of it. Call the Sabbath a delight, and you'll figure out just what God means by that. Because, you see, Isaiah as this Mount Everest of prophecy, is speaking to the heart of things, to our hearts, too. So if we're going to understand anything about Sabbath, remember, it's, it's this heart thing. On a day thing, but it's a heart thing on a day thing, on a day, a particular day. It's a heart thing on a day thing, on a Sunday, we believe, because every day... God has touched our hearts, and he reminds us now of the great privileges and blessings we have, and Sunday's one of them. Call the Sabbath a delight, and you'll figure it all out, because you'll delight in his word, and you'll delight in his commandments, and you'll delight in everything God delights in, and you'll delight in this sign that God has given to his people and to us of a day, of a day, of church, an ordinance, an institution, Preaching of the gospel, sacraments, as the catechism reminds us, were to, on that day, were especially to participate in God's salvation and rest, participating in the sacraments, baptism and the Holy Supper, and so many other beautiful things, but calling it a delight. And even because we call God a delight, that's the thing about the Sabbath, we've got to remember. In fact, all of these words are used in one way or another of God. All of the words that God says we are to call the Sabbath a delight, a holy day, and honorable, God uses of himself. They're descriptors of himself. God is a delight. God is, the Lord is the psalmist's delight, Psalm 37, verse 4. Uh, The holy day that's called the holy of the Lord, well, God is called holy, of course. Isaiah's 
vision of the king was holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And that holy day of the Lord that we're called to call honorable, well, God is honorable and he's most high. And so all of these things that we call a day are because of the God of the day. And so reminded that calling the Sabbath a delight is, first of all, because of the true religion wrought in us, of the God in whom we delight, and of the love we have for God. It's why ever it's been the case that where Christianity has flourished or not, the devil has sought to say we have to destroy the Sabbath of those Christians. It's, there's too much God on that day. Voltaire, great, great humanist, enlightened humanist, terrible atheist, said if you want to destroy Christianity, you've got to get rid of the Sabbath. One of the reasons why the French Revolution, revolution against God, uh, in that time, I believe, they, they sought to change the times from a seven-day week to a ten-day week. Get rid of the Sabbath. Make it nondescript. Make it like the other ordinary things of life. And make it so that that aristocrat, God, will be done away with. Because where the day of God is, their God is known. And maybe not by me, I don't go to church, but I know that that people that's going to church, wasting their time in that foolishness called worship, they're speaking of a God, and I don't like it. So, we need to guard the Sabbath. And why? I'm coming into a, a point that's leading to my second point about observing the Sabbath day. The Sabbath remains for us. Not only does Hebrews in chapter 4 say there remains a Sabbath or a rest for the people of God, but if you look at the words of Jesus in Mark chapter 2, and when he's controversial, uh, being the controversialist that he is among the Pharisees about this thing called Sabbath-keeping, Mark chapter 2, the end. Jesus says to them and summarizes everything really about Sabbath in a couple words. The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. That's the first thing he says right there. Meaning, you Pharisees have men made man a slave to the Sabbath. And a slave to you with all your ordinances and Sabbath day's journeys and so on that you would be prescribing to the people that God hadn't. But God made the Sabbath the other way around. It was made for man, made to be a blessing. And right there, Jesus reminds us that the Sabbath was made for man in the beginning, not just the Jews, made for man, a blessing for man and for any society that would ever be godly, for families, for church, made for man on the behalf of people. Not a burden to the people, but a great blessing to the people. The Church of Christ, recipient of those blessings. 
So Jesus shows right there that there's this this creation longness of Sabbath. A day, a special day. And then he goes on to say there, this. Therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. This is striking. The Son of Man, Jesus, God, Messiah, Daniel's Son of Man, who is the eternal God and the eternal King, says that he is Lord of the Sabbath. Now, what do you think that means? First thing, of course, it means is that he's Lord and not you legalist Pharisees. He's Lord of the Sabbath. And he is Lord of the Sabbath to check people if they would be legalists and right away say Sabbath keeping means this. Don't do this, don't do that, don't do the other thing, and then you'll be in and make sure you do this and do things positively here, and there's a checklist. Jesus Christ is Lord of the Sabbath to keep us from that legalistic kind of lordship, of the lordship of rules. Going back to Isaiah, isn't he? Call the Sabbath a delight. Someday, among all the rest of the week, the best, in which we can participate in the rest of God and of eternity through the delight that we have in God, the joy, the joy. Son of man is Lord of the Sabbath, and then to fulfill it, not to abolish it of meaning, or as some say, just to fulfill it of meaning by saying we don't need it anymore, Oh, no. Oh, no. He's saying, I'm come, and I'm going to fill it up with meaning, and I'm not come to abolish any of the commandments of God. But you're going to see Sabbath and enjoy Sabbath differently if you know me as Savior and Lord. That day will be just like no other, and it will be for you the best. It will be for you the best of all the week. Of course, Jesus being the Son of Man and the Lord on behalf of God the Father would never cancel the moral laws of God. Never come and I'm come and I have a better way. I am a better way than God. So all the evangelicals who want to say there's only nine commandments now, they have to do with Jesus who says he's Lord of the Sabbath, and they're saying by implication that he has done away with the commandment of the Father. How dare that be said in a Christian church? What other commandments you want to get rid of? What other things that you might have difficulty with, you want to just relegate to the thoughtless pile, to that doctrine we don't need to enter because it's too contentious. Whatever, what are the things you want to reject just because they're hard? Now, beloved, beloved Jesus said, this, is, this abides. This is, this is good. Therefore, we keep the Sabbath day. And here's what you do. You call it a delight by calling what God calls a delight on the Sabbath day. You know what God is calling us to do? 
He's calling us to call it a delight, and that means just not naming it. That would be terrible, wouldn't it be? We would call the Sabbath a delight. That's the name of the Sabbath. It's a delight. And then we go and do our own things. No, the idea of the prophet Isaiah is that we call it a delight and love it as a delight. We delight in the delight. We believe it's a delight. We organize our lives as if it's a delight. It's the priority. It's the thing of things, the day of days. The beginning of eternity, the window on eternity, as the Puritans would say. The day that's a ladder, another rung in the ladder to heaven. Sunday, queen of days, long live the queen. You? You know what that means, first of all? You call God a delight, which means you call Jesus a delight. That's the first thing. Jesus is a delight on this day to you, isn't he? Delight on this day to you because he is every other day and because he's delighted to take you out of the the mire of sin and out of the the guilt of sin and, and claim you as his. He's delighting in you. Isn't that amazing? And the last thing I knew, beloved, as your, your dear, humble pastor, is you're not very delightful. Nor am I. Not much to delight in, is there? We need to hear that sometimes, don't we? You're not such a princess adorable. My mother used to call my sister, who thought she was princess adorable. We're not. Sinners. And yet, this is the reciprocation. This is the result of God's calling us a delight. We say, Lord, we delight in you. We delight in your mercy. We, do, we love Jesus. Because if God himself is a delight, he is the delight of the Sabbath, and he's the holy one of the Sabbath, and he's the honorable one, remember that Jesus is exactly that expression of God. Because when he came into the flesh, John says, we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And Jesus is more, of course, than the day of God. He's the word of God. He's the rest giver on behalf of God. And so if we would delight in the Sabbath, which Jesus says he's Lord of, then we delight in him who's Lord of the Sabbath, and who is our Savior as well as Lord. You delight in him. Well, that means we call the New Testament Sabbath a delight, and that means Sunday. That's his day. Old Testament, and this is an argument that lots of people give against Sunday. They say the Old Testament had Saturday as the day. And if we're going to be Sabbatarians, therefore, we have to have Saturday as the day. Otherwise, you're just making mincemeat of the commandment. Well, beloved, there's a ceremonial aspect of the commandment, and that's the day, the particular day. And did you know that the Synod of Dort even made pronouncements about the Sabbath, uh, which the URC and other Reformed churches, most of them, have not adopted, but they are true, nevertheless, on the Sabbath, and it's, it reminded us, these six or seven 
pronouncements that Sunday is the day. Well, we speak, but we speak on the foundation of the Bible. The Bible itself makes it the day. Here's how. Simply because Jesus did all the work of redemption and rose on the first day of the week. And so the Old Testament people of God, they looked forward to the redemption of God. They worked, they worked, they worked. And then they rested. Now, beloved, here's what happens. On the first day of the week, we begin it in the rest of the finished work of God, sealed by the resurrection, confirmed to all of us that Jesus' atonement was real and that God the Father is pleased to receive us into his rest for Jesus' sake. And then we work out of that rest. Six days we labor because and for God and because we have rest in God. Sabbath now is first. It was promised. Now it is realized in Jesus. Beautiful thing. Beautiful way of, of reminding ourselves that Jesus himself did that. That's why he rose on the first day of the week. That's why the Holy Spirit was poured out on the first day of the week. That's why the Apostle John was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. Revelation 1, verse 10. Already had this name in distinction from the Jewish Sabbath, which even Christians were still keeping. But they needed to know that where is this fulfillment now on the Lord's Day of that which would be the essence of Sabbath and New Covenant Sabbath until heaven. So the Apostle Paul said on the first day of the week, see that offerings are set aside and so on for the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2. Isn't that beautiful? There's this transition and other, other ways have been cited from those who write volumes on the New Testament Sabbath that could prove that now the Sabbath has turned to a Christian Sabbath Lord's Day on the first day of the week. For example, a connection is made between circumcision on the eighth day and the symbolism of that and the Sabbath, which is on the eighth day or the first day, not the seventh day of the week, but the first day of this New Testament week. So as circumcision indicated, the cutting away of the old and the decrepit and the, the old generation of the Adamites and now sealed to us the righteousness of God and this new life. So Sabbath is all about that on the eighth day. New life. Jesus risen from the dead. Or maybe we could go back to the first day of creation itself. I think that ode to the Sabbath that we sang hints, hints at that. The first day, what was there in creation, children? God said what in the first day? Let there be light, light. Well, if you think of that as the first day of the week and the Sunday in the New Testament, well, who is Jesus? Light. He is God saying all over again in, in the work of recreation, let there be light, let there be truth, let there be the reality of all that I have decreed and now fulfilled in my son, the firstborn. On the first day, the dawn of God's own new covenant and really of eternity. So you call Jesus a delight and then you delight on that day, that Sunday of all the week, the best. And, 
and you're delighting in laboring to enter the rest and note how our catechism reminds us, and it hardly says anything. Some have thought it's rather loose on its, its uh, exposition, too loose on its exposition of the commandments. You look at the Westminster and it's much more prescriptive and do this and don't do that. But the catechism does get to the heart of things here. What we're all about here in church. The first thing that's required, God's will for us in the fourth commandment is that the gospel ministry and education for it be maintained. And the idea there is that ministers be supported so that the gospel can go forth. And I'm not tooting my own horn or seeking a paycheck here. In fact, as said to the deacons who met faithfully with my wife and I this past week, seeing if our needs are being taken care of, and we really appreciate that. I said to them, it doesn't matter if I get paid. It doesn't matter. As long as I can have something for my children and something for me to carry on. That doesn't matter. That's nothing. Money? The honor and the privilege of being a minister is everything. Itself. I thank God that you have received the will of God and gladly you contribute to the ministry. The office of the minister and the education of seminarians for that. And then, that especially on the festive day of rest, and it's referring to Sunday, I regularly attend the assembly of God's people, diligently frequent the house of God, the Old Testament, the old, the old translation in the Psalter, that I often worship. The assembly of the people of God, the New Testament, kahel, holy assemblies on the holy day, that's what we are now. That we diligently frequent that. And now we get into the numbers. How often should we come to church? The Bible doesn't say we need to go to church, does it? Well, there's one verse, Hebrews 10, 25, neglect not the assembling of ourselves together as the matter of some is, and so much the more as you see the day approaching, Hebrews 10, 25. That should be enough to get us to church at least once, maybe to drag us out of church because there's a commandment. Beloved, let's remember about this thing about delighting, shall we? What God is calling us to, which is the principal thing. Do you have to be dragged every day to love God? All the time that he says to love him, every day. Is Monday a chore because you're thinking God's commandments are a chore to you? and All this. That's the same thing we can do on Sunday. Do I have to go to church? If you're saying that, beloved, you've got a problem with delighting in God. Or maybe, maybe parents, and I confess we've, we've done this, we've, we've made laws that are too lawyerly or too Phariseeistic. Or maybe we've been too loose on the Sabbath and so on. Maybe we've said, you know, we've gotten into such habits that, well, here's what we do. Throw rust in the oven, and then we sit on the couch, lay on the couch, go sleep on the couch for three hours, and that's resting in God. I hope some of us are being rebuked, if that's the case. 
Call the Sabbath a delight. And you'll truly be happy in all that God reminds you to do on the Sabbath, which is promote the gospel ministry. And as one of the decrees of Dort is, you'll, you'll cease from all servile labors and even pleasures that would interfere with that worship. That's Dort's prescription. You'll cease from servile labors that interfere with worship and unnecessary labors that interfere with worship and meditation and also pleasures, work and pleasures, are regulated by the commandment because the focus is on wanting to worship God, not on turning on the news to the latest sports or doing your pleasure. Here's what the prophet reminds us. Call the Sabbath a delight, holy day honorable. But before that, You have to turn away your foot from the Sabbath. That means this. Don't do your own things on the Sabbath and don't be, and it could refer to this, don't don't tread on the Sabbath and profane it with your unholy doings. Don't profane and step on my holy ground and holy day with all of your petty, selfish things that, that may be good to you but are not holy and not a praise to God. That refers also to your pleasure, to your traveling from A to B on Sunday simply because it's convenient for you and you didn't plan your vacation so that you could come home on Saturday or Monday, but you're doing it now because it's convenient and you'll turn on something on the radio and and you'll stay away from most of the gas stations and so on. Deal with that, beloved. What's the priority in lots of our times? What is it? From your foot, or turn away your foot from the Sabbath and your pleasure on the Sabbath. Don't find your pleasure. Don't do your own ways, verse uh, 13. Nor speak your own words. Interesting. The Sabbath has commandments about our own words. That would be simply whatever we want to talk about. And I think the prophet here is saying, listen first, and then be slow to speak. Reminds us of, I think, a besetting sin that we might have as a congregation, some of us more than others. We're quick to talk about politics, aren't we? Like the Bible's saying, there's something greater on Sunday you can talk about. Most days there is too. Like our citizenship, which is in heaven, not on the earth. Our citizenship, which is in heaven. The glories of God in Jesus. The heavenly blessings, the spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Something. Something there. Now, you think this is legalistic? I speak the words of the prophet. And I trust him interpreting Jesus being Lord of the Sabbath and, and as rightly with regard to our behavior on that day. But then this finally and then some of the blessings. 
you shall be happy. That's what God is saying to us in the fourth commandment. You shall be happy on the Lord's day. You shall be happy. You shall delight in the Lord's day. After all, beloved, it's really what churches is. We're going to, we're going to a wedding or a foretaste of the wedding of Christ and his people. You go to a wedding, you dress in black and like, like a funeral. You said, do you sing dirges at a wedding? Of course not. Now, of course, on the Lord's Day, we learn of our sin, but that's not the focus. Jesus is. Jesus, wedding with the bride. That's it. Doesn't that make you happy? And that kind of behavior, which is focused on Christ and in, on the Bible, and therefore in meditations of the Bible, and not just romance novels, then really or any day, leads us to be happy in the Lord and also to be holy and happy the rest of our days. But that leads to the blessings. That's what happens. You do these things, and this is free. I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth. That simply means you triumph over everything that's in your way. Everything. Every single obstacle. Every Goliath, 10 foot or 20. Every problem. Every season of life you triumph over. As you understand and believe and call the Sabbath a delight. Everything during the week. Everything. And then all your work, which is part of the commandment. Six days you shall labor. And beloved, if we're being lazy during the week, we're going to be lazy on Sunday and we're going to be lazy about spiritual things. But work and rest, here it is. And part of the blessing of the Sabbath day that's still held by those who, who love Jesus is that we understand the time schedule of God. It's this time we rest and this time we work. There's a time for this. There's a time for that. We understand the victory that is in God in all of that time stuff because we understand something of eternity. And riding on the high places, which is a way of describing victory over enemies and complacency in God in that old sense of the word complacency. Peace and rest with God in his way. That is ours to be enjoyed. And this too in the way of feeding on the heritage of Jacob, our father. The idea here is yours will be to feast on the promises of God. Because the heritage of Jacob is the covenant, is the promises that I will be your God, you will be my people. It's everything revealed in Jesus Christ that we have. That's the heritage of Jacob, an Old Testament way of saying, I love you and I speak to you and I promise to you that I will be faithful though you be faithless. I am the God of grace and mercy. I love you. I'll be loving. Therefore, is the Sabbath a delight to you? Do we say with the psalmist, 
This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. You say that? We say that of God and of his day. It's a test. There's a barometer here of our spiritual life. How's your Sabbath day? How's mine? How's ours? Is it a delight in the Lord, in his ordinances, in his gospel, in his law, in his glory? Is it? May God bless us. May we call the Sabbath a delight and delight in the Lord here, today, and every day. Amen. Lord, we pray that you would bless us now. We've heard your servant stammer a few words, just, just a few that could be said and it will take all eternity to say again in a far more enlightened way. But Father, these words have been offerings and our hearing, however tainted with unbelief, we present to you as an offering of broken, contrite spirits. God bless us with repentance for our transgression of Sabbath and our not delighting as we ought to in you, your Son, in the communion of the Holy Spirit, in your day, in your love, your law, your gospel. God, we pray, rid us of all the secularism, of all the this-worldliness that is the plague of our flesh. God, us to eternal things. And may this be something that the world sees and testifies and draws them to our worship and to the God whom we worship, the God of our rest. Amen.